Welcome to the fifth and final episode of Cinema Smorgasbord Presents the Films of John Singleton, where we run the entire filmography of a particular director. On this episode, we're looking at 2000's Shaft. It's the films with John Singleton. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me, as always, is the cat that won't cop out when there's danger all about, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Uh, I'm okay, Doug. I've been better, but I've been worse. All right. Well, that's the uh, theme of the year 2021 so far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Liam, we have come to the end of a lengthy journey with the right. entire filmography of the great John Singleton. How are you yeah. feeling about that now that we've, we've, we're, we're approaching the end? I mean, I, 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 am, I feel good that we did it. I feel a little frustrated because, and I, you know, I don't want to be too grand about it per se, but I did want to do this to feel like I had a perspective on his filmography that maybe right. I would discover mm-hmm. something that I didn't realize. And and I don't know that I do, or at least nothing that sounds particularly cool, if you know what I mean. <laughs> like, like, it'd be cool to have like a grand theory of John Singleton. And instead, what I feel like we discovered is... Uh, a director who um, more and more tried to figure out how to make the kind of movies that would still have a a, a core of what he cared about, but would right. appeal to larger audiences. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, and and I, and he just got less and less successful at that as a director as he went on, though it's pretty clear looking at his other work that as a producer, maybe he still managed to do a lot of that work, you know, so yeah. mm-hmm. both for TV and film that he was able to still uh, be a part of things. But as a, as his own kind of director auteur sort of person, he got further and further away from stuff that felt very much like him. And, and that sounds tragic. I don't know that it is. I didn't know him. You know what I mean? Uh, and we're looking at his work. We're not, looking at like his interviews or his personal life. He didn't write an autobiography. You know what I mean? So I don't have a perspective on how he felt about it. All I know is as a fan or at least a perceived fan from what I could tell, um, I wish there were more films like some of his early films later in his career. But again, he died young. So I was really hoping to come out of this with a more positive view, and I think I'm not in that space. So, but that, that doesn't make it a waste of time. It was great to revisit these films and to feel like I, you know, he. Even if you only take his first few films, he's incredibly important for that era of filmmaking and for other directors. So, like, I I don't want to say like because I didn't change my perspective on his later films that somehow he's less important. I might even have a greater appreciation for his impact now than sure. i did before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but i that doesn't mean i suddenly am like a big fan of his later movies i think that you can't overstate his importance as a filmmaker in the 1990s right and i think his influence is more than just him as a director which is something that you just alluded to right that he became more than john singleton the, the director he became the producer but he's also became like the influencer in a more uh, in in the way that that would have been defined previous to um, to YouTubers and things like that. Yeah. In the sense that his existence opened so many doors, and he continued to open those doors for other people uh, right. after he found his fame and success. But I also think that, like you suggested, uh, it was getting. I, I don't know if it was getting harder for him to make personal movies later in his career. Or if he just didn't have as much interest in that. If he felt like, right. you know, I don't want to be the boys in the hood guy forever. I want to make mass market entertainment because those are the kind of movies that I loved growing up. And, and like, there's there's value in that. And that there's nothing wrong with a black director who wants to make a movie that is a huge blockbuster, like a Too Fast, Too Furious. Especially when you can still, you know, put a lot of texture in that that's very specific to you and your experiences. But that it's not as clearly a message movie as something like Higher Learning was. I guess I worry that because of um, not just my response to, but the response of a lot of people to Baby Boy, if it wasn't like he got 
burned by that experience and right, that right, right. colored the rest of his filmmaking. I, I don't know. That's a huge guess. I don't want anyone to take that as like, that's my critical opinion. I, I have no idea. Uh, but, I, but I will say that, you know, um, a lot of people look to him as a very much political and message filmmaker. And um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I don't think it's the whole story. Right. And I think it's very limiting, um, even if it, it does... It's meant to show a certain respect for his early films, but I don't know that it does that. I don't know that it accomplishes that. I think it, it, it in some ways, limits who he was and what he was doing. It's really unfair that people had continuously, and still do to a certain extent, compared the career of John Singleton to that of Spike Lee because Spike Lee was another, you know, larger-than-life uh, 90s for the most part, uh, like 90s-centered in terms of, of kind of the heights of, of his career in a lot of ways, a uh, filmmaker who was making films about black issues but also had the ability to make large Hollywood-style movies. And one of the interesting things about Spike Lee's career is the way that he dips back and forth, right? That he can make mass market entertainment and then go back and make personal movies. And he can do that. He can kind of walk in both worlds. And I feel like in some ways that's what John Singleton wanted to do. And maybe if he had found a little bit more success in his smaller movies later in his career, that he would have been able to do that. But it kind of felt like, particularly in his last few movies, that he just kind of abandoned that because he just wasn't finding the same success there anymore and that he felt like he could maybe put that same positive energy into the world through his producing instead yeah i i don't know i don't know I, I, like i said uh what i wish i felt like i had accomplished and this isn't on this project or on john singleton is i wish i had come up with some sort of grand theory of john singleton right like that's really was in some sense my goal and i and i think that was unrealistic because um i i think that would be easier to do if he had been able to make more movies and i you know part of that is his way too young passing in my mind uh mm-hmm. but also you know he moved to other things and so i think if this was a podcast where we were like let's also watch all the tv he produced and check out all that you know what i mean then maybe we would have something there but i I don't think that would be real i think that would be uh a stretch so i don't have a grand theory but that's okay because i i do have an appreciation for the films that i i have an appreciation for basically the ones that um i I guess were not a surprise but they are ones that i like and i guess our film today was though not i wouldn't put it on his great films list it was a pretty big surprise for me so uh that'll be interesting to talk about (laughs) yeah me too that film is 2000s shaft which we're going to get to right after the break we're also going to end this episode with ranking the films of john singleton uh and and we'll we'll see how we compare we'll dare to compare our lists liam at the very end here but before we jump into that break and before we talk about shaft i just want to ask you kind of a, a question i think is is important that we're kind of hinting at what is John Singleton's relevance and importance in the year 2021? Well, I think that he was, um, at least in his early films, he was unwilling to shy away from telling difficult stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was unwilling to deny the humanity to a variety of characters who even if those characters functioned as villains or at least as flawed characters there was still a certain amount of humanity there mm-hmm. uh and he is one of the again this is one of the reasons people do compare him to spike lee he was very black in public which was like yes. still a difficult thing in the 90s you know some people were able to do it and some people weren't uh and he was unapologetically uh black for his entire career uh which might sound silly in 2021 but i, I think it is meaningful i think in a negative sense which is still positive but it's worth saying um it's also clear that there are a certain amount of stories that have been told because of his filmmaking. And right. so in 2021, maybe we don't need to explore every aspect of black pain. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Uh, and that's one of the things I hear a lot recently from black critics is like, not that, hey, we don't want people to know what's going on, but a feeling of like, you all should already know. So the only story out there shouldn't be black paint. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, and, and I think that's that's a common thing we run into where it's not that it's wrong to tell a story that highlights the struggle of 
black folks in a white supremacist system like America. But it is true that for some reason, that's all we ask them to do. And it's very limiting of the humanity of black people in America or around the world to say, this is a story. This is a black movie. Like, what What about well, it could be anything? You know what I mean? Right. Like the, mm-hmm. a, a, anything that involves humans could be a movie with black people in it. Like that's they're people, you know, like we could tell any kind of story. And I, I get that that has also had negative permutations where a white director thinks they can just plug in a black actor and they never think about the implications on their story if their character is black, you know? And that's mm-hmm. not what we mean. But it does. it is true that black creators shouldn't be asked to only tell one kind of story. And I think that's sort of what we start to see in Singleton's career. Absolutely, 100%. him stretching out and trying new things. I don't know that all of those attempts are successful, but I think we both felt like yeah, but the man couldn't make Boys in the Hood for 30 years. Like, exactly. He just couldn't do it, and he shouldn't have to. And the idea that now in 2021, someone's going to hit all the same story notes that we got in Boys in the Hood would be such a bummer. It, it's just so unnecessary. You know what I mean? Like, there has to be, if you're going to tell us that kind of story, it better be updated for now in a way that's interesting. Because if not, why are you telling that story again when it was told so well? You know what I mean? But anyways, that's that's just what I was thinking is like uh, both the positive and negative aspects of being a trailblazer, you know? Abs- yeah, absolutely. You know, on the, the first episodes of this series, I mentioned that when I was growing up in Newfoundland, the films of John Singleton and the films of Spike Lee and other black directors, they were not shown where I grew up in Newfoundland because the idea was that <laughs> audiences in that area were not going to be interested in seeing black movies quote-unquote black movies but like you said this is an experience a that you should be exposed to anyway but that these are universal stories in a lot of ways that that could still you know hold entertainment for a group of people from newfoundland or wherever and one of the things that john singleton did throughout his career was to push against these this cage that boys in the hood created for himself but also this definition of what a black movie was and what these uh urban experiences were and to allow that to be so negligible and so um ill-defined in some ways that that a movie by john singleton as he moved along his career hey too fast too furious say what you want about that movie that one played in newfoundland you know eventually those barriers had to break down, and uh, and and he was a big part of that. And and I think that that is, even though it's part of his career that we, you know, us watching all the way through it, sometimes we are not that happy about that. We're a little derisive towards the fact that his later movies felt less personal. The fact that he was able to make those less personal movies are kind of a testament to his career as a whole, because he his success, his ability is what allowed him to make less personal projects. And I think that that is something to be celebrated, even if even if the movies that came out of it were not necessarily our favorites in his career. Yeah, and I think we we are trying to be careful to not do what I think a lot of people at the time did, which was assume because he made at least one, if not a couple, very successful independent films, or at least not obviously Hollywood films, that sure. therefore he is a certain kind of director. And it's pretty clear, at least in that sense from his interviews, that he didn't see himself that way. Right. Like he didn't see himself as, you know, Jim Jarmusch. He didn't yeah. see himself mm-hmm. even as Spike Lee. Absolutely. He, he wanted to be playing in the in the yard with with uh, with, with uh, Spielberg. You know, yeah. like, why couldn't he be the black Spielberg? You know, and so I think uh, that's worth keeping in mind, too, is that some of those decisions that maybe hit us as weird or, or we didn't necessarily appreciate where it's going were probably attempts by him to play in that bigger sort of realm and get people to see him as a much broader director than maybe he was being uh, uh, perceived as. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, with that in mind, we're actually going to finish our look at the career of John Singleton at this kind of midpoint between the Hollywood style and the more personal style, a movie that still involves a lot of um, a, a lot of discussion about being a black character in a white supremacist nation, but done in a way that is meant to have mass appeal and we'll see how successful it was after this break 2000's shaft in a city where fear can buy you power i need someone located that's gonna cause you 
Only one man will stand up for justice. You ain't even a pig no more. You think that makes me less dangerous or more dangerous? You're too hot, man. You gotta step off a bit. Got milk? Yeah, I got the milk. John Shaft. Right on. His ass is mine. You know, something happens to her, I'm gonna come after you myself. You won't have to. Something happens to her, it happens to me. Go! Any questions? Can you dig it? New York City police detective John Shaft goes on a personal mission to make sure the son of a real estate tycoon is brought to justice after a racially motivated murder. It's Shaft from the year 2000, directed, of course, by the great John Singleton, written by John Singleton, as well as Richard Price, the writer of The Color of Money, Michael Jackson's Bad video. Liam, how about that? Michael Jackson's Bad. Wow. As well as uh, a number of uh, episodes of The Wire, whose influence, even though this uh, movie came out before The Wire, um, the influence is kind of already uh, uh, on this film because a number of the cast members appear. Uh, the other writer for this is Shane Salerno, the writer of Armageddon, Aliens vs. Predator Requiem, and the upcoming uh, Avatar 4, Liam. Wow. I know. I mean, honestly, all-star talent all the way around here. And I don't really say that uh, facetiously. This has a all-star cast, including, of course, Samuel L. Jackson appearing as John Shaft, the nephew of the original John Shaft, played by Richard Roundtree, who is also here as Uncle John Shaft. Uh, we have Vanessa Williams, Jeffrey Wright, who we'll talk about in just a little bit, Christian Bale coming off his performance in American Psycho, uh, not quite Batman here yet, Buster Rhymes, Dan Hedaya, Tony Collette is here, lot of familiar faces in the cast of 2000's Shaft, Liam, uh, and usually... This would be the point where I would toss to you and say, Liam, what did you think? But I'm going to start and tell you what I think first. Okay. <laughs> because I don't like 2000's Shaft, as you already know, Liam. Uh, I, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. I don't think that this is a very good movie. And actually, let me revise that. This is a fine movie. It's perfectly entertaining. It has a lot of really fun performances in it. And it's fairly satisfying to watch. But as a continuation of the Shaft character, it is not good. And we talked a little bit about this. I rewatched Shaft, the 1971 film starring Richard Roundtree, in preparation for this. And my, I'd watched that several times when I was a teenager, but I hadn't seen Shaft in many years. And I really enjoyed the experience. I always thought of it as very much a secondary a secondary exploitation movie. And I know that even the definition of what movies are and are not exploitation is um, iffy. And John Singleton pushed against that when he made this film. He, he wanted it to be clear that the original Shaft wasn't about exploiting anyone. But I tend to think of that term, exploitation as, uh, even though it is in some ways offensive, the idea that this is a white realm traditionally in films because black actors, black directors were not giving op uh, given opportunities. And now we are making these films with black faces in them. We are, we are uh, taking these genres, we're allowing black characters to be seen. We can make them about black experiences, that the black experience in America or wherever can be shown on screen because we are now taking these structures, in this case, like an, an old school detective movie, like a, a Big Sleep, and you're putting a black character as a private investigator in here. And that's what Shaft, I think, does really well. I was actually really shocked at how, how good it was. And when I always thought of it as this kind of pale imitator of Sweet Sweetback's badass song, even though stylistically it's not like that film, and content-wise it isn't, but the idea that the success of Melvin Van Peebles' movie allowed for Shaft to happen, which is reality. That is the case. But right. I always thought of it as this kind of watered-down... Um, mainstream version, and that is what it is. But that is important in the same way that we're talking about Sean Singleton's career, that you kick those doors open to allow you to not have to make those kind of movies, you know, that they don't always have to be about these angry black characters being angry and black, and that, that is the only way they can be. Now, that said, Shaft is angry, and he is black, and very rightfully so, but he's not a cop. And I know that's something that we're going to talk about in just a moment. He's not a cop. And that's a very much a defining element of Shaft 
in the original film, he does not like cops. He doesn't trust him. And that's something that I think we can all uh, relate to in the year 2021. But he's also kind of an asshole. He's a misogynist. He's a kind of a piece of shit. He wrinkles at everybody. He doesn't really have a lot of friends. He's very much a loner. He sits in his small office with nobody there, but he also is very much a part of the geography of New York City. He is he is as much a part of it as Times Square. He's as much part of it as Harlem. He's a part of that community, those communities, I should say, and he can walk between those worlds. And I think Shaft becomes very symbolic in that case. So watching 2000's Shaft, I was shocked at how little of what made Shaft as a character interesting and kind of revolutionary exists in this movie. And I know it can't really exist in the same way because this is, you know, 30 years down the line that that you're going to have different themes and it's a different world that this character is living in. But there's nothing about Samuel L. Jackson Shaft that to me is the black private dick who's a sex machine to all the chicks. I even feel like the 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 soundtrack to this movie that when the Isaac Hayes song is playing that it feels ironic and it's not supposed to be ironic and I mean I know it's kind of a joke anyway the Shaft theme song because it is kind of overblown and kind of comical in some ways but when the, when the music and the style of the music plays in this movie to me it's like hey remember Shaft it's all a joke even the John Shaft character the original Uncle John Shaft in this you know he's kind of a cartoon in this but the original Shaft wasn't a cartoon anyway I'm going on on a kind of a rant here, Liam, because I really feel like this movie is kind of disrespectful to the original Shaft. Um, and and I want to get your take on it. What did you think of this movie? What did you think of 2000 Shaft? Well, unlike you, I did not make the mistake of rewatching <laughs> the original Shaft. And honestly, if I was going to prepare for this movie, I wouldn't rewatch the original Shaft. I would watch any number of embarrassing sequels because I think that's the spirit of this movie. You're watching the 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 proto, the original, the thing itself. You should have been watching Shaft in Africa or Shaft this or... <coughs> or the Shaft TV series. Yeah, the Shaft TV series. Because this film, to me, is about the phenomena that Shaft became far more than about the original movie, which I... I I am also in the past have been a little skeptical of. I, I will say, let, let me back up and talk about my history with this film. Sure. I did not see this fucking movie when it came out. I will say, I must have seen it at some point for one important reason. The number of times I've said, Motherfuck, this is Egyptian cotton. <laughs> I've said that line to people. That's a thing that, I've, that has come out of my mouth. And so... Knowing that, knowing that I've said that to people, I obviously must have seen at least part of this movie. But watching this for the first time all the way through, paying attention to it, I never saw this whole movie. I must have just seen parts Mm. of it. But at the time, my memory of it coming out, I was in college, and I remember thinking, how are you going to remake Shaft? Like, Shaft is a classic. Like, Shaft is so important. Um, And it really wasn't until my later 20s, like when I was in grad school, that my opinion on Shaft kind of shifted. And it was based mostly on, A, something you already mentioned, which is the deep misogyny, which is an issue in a lot of films from this era, not just the black ones, you know, just any film mm-hmm. with strong men is has misogyny in it uh, from from the uh, cis, uh, later 60s uh, through a lot of the 70s. Yeah, but, particularly, uh, I think the 70s in particular, yes, a lot yes, of these characters, yes. it lean very heavily. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but also, um, though he hates cops, Shaft is not that different from a cop to me in that he is not supportive of revolutionaries. He's skeptical of... Uh, any sort of effort to change the system. And even if he's not in the first movie, eventually he spends a lot of time kind of upholding the status quo in a way. Whereas I feel like a superfly or a trouble man, also, by the way, problematic figures, are <laughs> at least sort of pushing against. I would even say a black Caesar in a way who is also, again, very problematic. <laughs> These figures, by being against, by living outside the system or pushing against the system, are more of a source of whatever it is that I find appealing about this era of films. That being said, I get that compared to the original Shaft, this movie is probably, it's so, such a bummer. What what a, what a disrespectful nod to such an important film in the history of at least this area of filmmaking. For me, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking... 
I, I, I remember not liking this movie, even though I don't remember having sat through the whole thing. I'm going to watch it. Mm-hmm. And outside of the fact that, though Jeffrey Wright's performance, I think, is overall just truly amazing. just He just is wonderful. In unbelievable absolutely. performance. The scene with the Egyptian cotton is still stupid, and I will still make fun <laughs> of it for the rest of my life. Because no one in their life has ever said, like that just doesn't happen you know so like i i still continue to laugh at that scene that being said i think the movie is way better than i thought it was i think it is a you know competent action film absolutely that that, um flirts with copaganda but ends up uh actually uh, i think uh, letting go of that propaganda and in fact suggests that the whole system is is broken. Now, the solution to the system being a hard nosed uh, vigilante is a little too close to like a like a, a dirty hairy figure for me. Uh, <laughs> in a sense, this movie just wants Samuel Jackson to be black, dirty hairy. But I think over time, the Shaft property became black, dirty hairy. And, yeah. and so that's part of the problem, right, is that I think it's it's living into the longer legacy that isn't what the first movie is about. And uh, and that's, you know, on a larger scale, that's an issue. But again, I went in expecting, I don't want to say trash, but I expected something that I was going to like less than Four Brothers. Let's put it that way. Right. And, and I didn't get that. I got something that I think is a little bit better than Four Brothers. I think it works better as a film, even as I agree, it treats the idea of Shaft as a joke. It doesn't take it that seriously. Um, and and I think there is a there is a thing here that I will say that uh, New York is a diverse place. And what this movie does is focus on uh, Queens and the Bronx, basically, right. and maybe parts of Brooklyn. And so um, the places it focuses on are places where people drive a lot, and everyone in this movie drives a lot. In fact, the only person who spends all their time walking is uh, when Christian Bale has to like leave his family, and he's like a wandering. He's still a rich guy, but he doesn't have access to money like that anymore. Right, right, right. He's the only dude who like walks around, which is why he's always like in danger a little bit. Um, everyone else just drives in this movie, and I think Singleton, you're right, as an LA filmmaker, can relate to driving New York. But as a film watcher, that's that's a little weird. It's certainly not what we get from these kinds of movies. We get people who are more on the street but i don't know that that represents everyone's new york experience you know what i mean right um so whatever it's it's a weird it's a weird thing also it was the year 2000 and i do think in the year 2000 it was like kind of a a very status symbol to have a car no matter how reasonable that was (laughs) um i want to say that that but that one of the things that defines this movie is that it's not a tribute to black exploitation which in some ways is refreshing right we've seen that in the last few years even films that try to um, emulate the the kind of feeling of a black exploitation movie, like Superfly, uh, like Superfly, right? Absolutely, um, and even Dolomite is my name to a certain extent, even though I, I think that's a very successful movie. Right. Um, but but like I do think that in this movie, and I I did read some John Singleton interviews from the time that this movie came out. I do think that part of his his motivation was to make the idea of the black exploitation movies that he watched growing up to make them more respectable, to sure, polish them right. in a way that could be, again, brought to mass audiences and to show the appeal to them. And that is probably one of the reasons that you have a actor like Samuel L. Jackson at its core, an actor right. who is great. I love Samuel L. Jackson, but Samuel L. Jackson is not Shaft. He is not an asshole. Well, he's an asshole in some ways, but he's not the kind of asshole that Shaft was, and he's not this sexual being in this movie like Shaft is, as defined by the song and as defined by the performance by Richard Roundtree. One of the people that were considered to play Shaft, and he even said after this movie came out that he should have been Shaft, was Wesley Snipes. And I have to say, I think Wesley Snipes would have made a terrific Shaft, mostly because one of the things that we know about Wesley Snipes is that he's kind of an asshole and is great at playing assholes. And I do think that one of the things that they wanted Shaft to be in this movie is not an asshole. They wanted him to have a good friend uh, played by Vanessa Williams, right? They wanted him to have a good buddy who's like a jokey, you know, kind of comic book character in Busta Rhymes. That he's like, that he doesn't sweat anything, that he's, that, you know, he's cool. Absolutely. Samuel Jackson is always fucking cool. But John Shaft is more than just a cool character. He's also 
a guy that bristles at everybody. But Samuel L. Jackson spends half of this movie as a cop and doesn't even become a private investigator until the last five minutes. And mostly it seems like he wants to use that for exactly the reason you said. So he just can just beat up people and not have to worry about it. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there is something... I. I, I will say, I'm of the opinion, and people can disagree, that him almost killing a judge with his badge I mean, okay, is please. more badass than anything in the original Chef. That's actually it, how I feel about it. It is super badass, 100%, and it's absolutely not Chef. You know, that is, that's a different movie that you have when you that But that's happens. what he's trying to do. He's trying to make a different movie. The, to me... This is why I, I kind of bristle at the idea that this is a remake, because that's what everyone calls it as a remake. Well, it's not. I mean, it has no plot you elements, really. You can't yeah. cast the original Shaft as himself and it be a remake. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's part of the thing about this film. It's also what I think they tried to recreate in the, the third film of the same fucking name, Shaft, where now <laughs> there are three Shafts. Uh, the, the idea being is like, these are a kind of sequel where we're not making it a sequel because we're focusing, in a sense, on a new person. But from what I understand, because I was unwilling to see the new one, it's not that at all because you can't you can't actually have some young kid replace Samuel L. Jackson. He just takes up too much space. So it's really just a, a, a Samuel L. Jackson shaft with two other dudes, from what I understand. Anyways, point is, in this movie... This is a different shaft. It's a different person. It's a different kind of story, but it still uh, tells some of the same themes in my mind around the failure of police, around the failure of the justice system. However, for Singleton, he I feel like he thinks he's telling a sharper story by having this rich-ass white guy who gets away with stuff, whatever, and having a scene where... He basically redeems this racist white cop. There's a white cop that Shaft works with who actually sucks. And yes. he ends up like making up with him when he gets help from that dude and lets the dude call him cornbread, which is like not the worst thing I've ever heard, but it's certainly not cool. And that move from Singleton to be like, you know, oh, this guy's a true enemy, but this other dude who's a little bit rough around the edges, he's not so bad, is so fucking year 2000 that it makes me want to jump out of window. I, I mean, it looks, I mean, I mean, we're obviously viewing this from the year 2021, but boy, nothing has looks worse in this movie than the idea of excusing a cop that uses racist language because he's not really a racist. He just says racist things. Yeah, he's not so bad. Come on. <laughs> I, I think that, 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 uh, Okay, so I want to go back to your original thing about Wesley Snipes. Um, in a different movie, Wesley Snipes could play Shaft. This yeah, movie, not in this movie. This movie's right. fucking funny, and it's funny on purpose. And um, Wesley Snipes has one, to me, funny mode, and it is, as you already said, Dolomite is my name, or like White Man Can't Jump sort of vibe, which is like he's goofy. Like, Wesley Snipes is goofy or he's badass. He cannot be goofy and badass at the same time. I don't think it would work. You would need mm, a different script. You would need a different script where Shaft, where new Shaft is as much of a of a badass as old Shaft. And if there's a joke to be made, it's at the expense of someone else, probably white. That would right. be a film that Wesley mm. Snipes would be great in. That's right. not this fucking film, man. That's true. And, and and again, not that Samuel Jackson doesn't play it serious most of the time, but there are definitely moments where shit is popping off. Like, take it when he switches precincts and he's part of the drug enforcement team, which, by the way, fuck, shaft on a drug enforcement team is like the last <laughs> thing I want to say. And he breaks into this apartment and a guy starts to get away and he's like, hey, motherfucker, get back here. Don't make me run after you. <laughs> that is a Samuel Jackson thing. No one else could do that. If that's what this shaft is about is that he doesn't want to run after some asshole and he's going to bitch and whine about it. You know what I mean? Like he's going to complain about it in a way that's supposed to be funny, but also like self mocking only Samuel Jackson could pull that off in my mind, or at least of actors that were available at the time. Wesley Snipes, I don't think could do that in a way that would be what it was, but I it think it would be hard to imagine Wesley Snipes saying it's my duty to please that booty. Right. Exactly. But I think, uh, I think with a different script, which I don't think is a John Singleton thing, even though he helped write the script. I think John Singleton, John Singleton could have written and directed a serious Shaft movie, but I think he felt like that's not what this property needed for it to be moved from... It's also worth noting, I think, that in the year 2000, right, I think there was less 
appreciation for black exploitation films among white audiences than there is today. Yeah, I think you're right. I think in the year 2000, people knew Black Caesar because it got mentioned in a Public Enemy song, not because they knew what Black Caesar was. You know what I mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it had the crossover appeal, and it was really just certain aspects of the African-American community that were even discussing uh, films of this ilk. Uh, and so I think Singleton is thinking very strongly he's bringing this into the mainstream. And for my money, Doug, he makes a not-too-bad mainstream action film. If if his films after this were as fluid as this movie but didn't involve the hallowed name of Shaft, I would have a different view of his later films. I think he actually did pretty good later because I, I, I don't think – even Four Brothers, which is maybe one of his later films that I really like in a lot of ways, it doesn't move as well or or jive, you know, sort of sort of make a, a a hole. It doesn't. This movie really like is harmonious for me in a way. It works. It just maybe doesn't work as a Shaft film. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if this was a movie about a differently named character who just happened to be related to the original Shaft, that would actually work even better than making this. I mean, what it, what this movie should be, it's just a different movie about a different right. character that right. is not tied into this franchise whatsoever because I but don't see what it is about money? this movie. That's I mean, how I'm he sure. got the money, I bet. Absolutely, but I don't see what about this movie is, is Shaft-like as opposed, aside from the fact that it takes place in New York City, that there's racial elements to the plot, that the lead character is black, I mean, he's again. He's not even a private investigator. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and I think for for I, I in my mind, I I, I want to defend uh, the fact that he starts as a cop because I do think it gives Singleton an opportunity to cr- criticize the system from the inside out. You know, and yeah. Have him Most be- of the cops here are dirty. That, yeah, and, 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 that, and yeah. I like that. I like that he has that opportunity. Do I think the film executes on it as well? And this is as someone who's skeptical of the original Shaft. I think there are moments in this remake that are more critical of the system, but it still overall fails because it doesn't really care about that. The The idea of that criticism is not really essential to the plot. It's more like a colorful aspect of the plot. It's more about Shaft's need for revenge on, on Christian Bale. Like, really, that's what it's yeah, about. And absolutely. So, and so, like... But, and it, the go-home message, by the way, of, of its relationship with the police is maybe the police have too many restrictions on them to allow them to do their job. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's the other and that's the other issue, right? Is like that, you know, this story... I, I think he wants to play both angles of it by having it be both Jeffrey Wright's character right. and Christian Bale's character. But the Jeffrey Wright character, who is, by the way, the best part of the film, yes. is also the most problematic aspect because uh-huh. you make this inhuman monster of a drug dealer that whatever Shaft does or any other cop does, which in this film is mostly illegal human rights violation shit is justified because Jeffrey Wright is a, a Egyptian cotton wearing monster. So it's like uh, what they really, what he gets with the Jeffrey Wright character is uh, xenophobia. He talks funny and he dresses yep. funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is uh, also weirdly effeminate for such a strong character. So True. it's like people get to judge his effeminence, which they associate with people from other countries, you know, like tough guys in places where they speak Spanish dance, Doug, and real men don't dance, not real mm-hmm. white men. You know, like that's that's the, that's part of what's going on here under the surface. And also um, because he is so inhuman and he's such a creature of evil than anything cops do to people who deal drugs. And that's so 2000. Like 2000, we're seeing the remnants of this utterly – unjust war on drugs that was designed entirely to suppress and hurt the poor parts of the black community. And yet we're still trying to tell ourselves it's totally chill. Like it's so cool that we did that. There's nothing wrong with the years and years of mass incarceration that we'll be living with for the next 20 years that we're still dealing with today. That's all fine guys. The nineties were sick and, and it, and it wasn't. And I, that's a lot of what's happening in this movie is, is some of that. And I, it makes me sad to think of Singleton as, uh, a, a, a filmmaker who I think is very angry, justifiably in some of his other movies, to make this film that has elements of criticizing the system, but in the end is a very pro-penal system kind of movie, honestly. 
It's so strange to see that so much of the DNA of The Wire in this. Right. And to know, I mean, The Wire is a movie about, a uh, movie, sorry. The Wire is a TV show about cops, but it is not one that celebrates the system. In fact, it's no. very, very critical of it. Right. And I do have, a, there is a sense from reading interviews and reading about some of the making of this uh, Shaft movie that that there was more... There was more of the elements that I think both of us would have liked to have seen in this movie that had been wiped out because, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, quite rightly, did not want to have his character be this raging misogynist. He didn't want that. But that that was probably part of how it was written initially with these three very talented writers at the core of this. I imagine that there was just a, a lot of frustration regarding how they wanted to define this character, especially... Again, when you hear John Singleton talk about, I think he bristled very much against the idea that these 70s black-led movies were all put in the same category. That, you know, that Blackula sits next to Shaft, sits next to Superfly, sits next to uh, the spook who sat by the door. That every single movie is exactly the same thing because they're all, quote-unquote, exploitation, And that he wanted to kind of modernize that and to create a black hero that is Shaft while also not being Shaft. And I understand yeah. that motivation. It's just really difficult when you watch the original film. And again, there is there are revolutionary aspects to that film in, in the way that Hollywood embraced it and the way that it opened the door for other movies. This movie is just an entertaining action movie. And you're right, Liam, that should be enough. It really should be. It's just kind of sad when that's not what the original film was. Right. No, I think that's true. I, I, I get why. I'm sure if I had watched... That sh that original shaft is a way to prepare. I'd be in the same boat as you. I came into this purely like, oh, this is going to be a piece of shit because that was my bias from back in the day, and I I still think I never saw this whole movie, even though parts <laughs> of it I was like, oh right, okay, I remember this. There was still when it ended, I was like, no, there's no way. I don't. I didn't remember anything about the the ending or anything like that. So, anyways, point is. I went in with a pretty low bar, and it got over that mm. bar. So, and, and I want to defend it as a pretty successful action movie. But I do wonder if some of what's wrong with this movie is what's wrong for me with Rosewood. You know, that uh, all the intentions are there, but in some sense, the entertainment of it all makes it fall short. Like, uh, if, if sh the original Shaft didn't exist, you would say this is kind of a badass action movie with Samuel L. Jackson. But you also wouldn't say this is a particularly relevant social commentary of any kind or that it deals with its subject matter particularly. You know what I mean? Like it, it, the thing about the original Shaft is that while I don't think it's my favorite of the films of that time, it did accomplish a good deal. And, and, and you certainly couldn't say that about this movie. But I wonder how much of that was on his, his mind. And, and, and right. to what extent was the script maybe even had more of that, but you know, uh, I don't know if it's studio pressure or it's just Singleton is, I think overall uh, kind of an entertaining director. I mean, it, yeah. you know, I, I think that's kind of where we landed with Rosewood was that it ends up being more entertaining than informative about the event. It's trying to tell you about it's, I mean, that's very reflective in this Christian Bale character, right? Because right. what's more, I mean, still more relevant in this movie than a rich racist, who, because of his power and influence, is able to get away with literal murder, something we still see all the fucking time. It's still something that is incredibly, you know, relevant in the year 2021. And this movie kind of forgets this character about three quarters of the way through. I mean, originally, I guess there was this big kind of confrontation between Shaft and this Walter Wade Jr. character played by Christian Bale that was cut out of the movie. Um, and instead, this movie ends like a Law & Order episode with a grieving mother shooting him to death before the trial even happens. And you're supposed to think, and, you know, and it, again, reflective of reality, that that's the only way that you can find justice, right? It's through the barrel of a gun. Because even with the witness there, and even with, you know, all of a, a new judge, and, 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 and even with all of these things that are supposed to lead to justice, that it's likely that he's going to walk. So the only way that you can get justice is by killing him, which, again, is a very... Um, uh, resonant message but doesn't seem to be the message of this movie it really feels kind of at odd at the end where it's like so Shaft goes through all of this the whole point of this movie is he's got to find Tony Collette who witnessed this murder and got to get her into a courtroom and he gets her there and then it was all for nothing and I understand that we're supposed to walk out of this like oh wow that's the justice system it's so fucked up 
And it is. The justice system is all fucked up. But that's not what this movie is really about. Usually this movie is about, oh, we can find justice as long as we get the right person into the right place. Right. It, it's... It, there's a lot. It, there's also a, just a lot of violence and destruction for something that ultimately means nothing. It's, I just it's, think one of the things I think about because one of the, the things about Shaft is that there's there's a lot of people killed in it. Yeah, but it's very obvious like who is killed uh, in self defense, and right. you know they try to clear up the situation right. so it's not going to be this big. In this movie, there's like bodies everywhere, and all I'm thinking about is like. Shaft, you gotta have to answer for at least some of these corpses that you right. left behind. Yeah, like like you're not even a private detective or a cop. <laughs> I, that I mean, that is the part where there's all this potential when he lets go of the badge to say like because it's unjust, but then he can't do anything like. Everything he does in this movie is with the help of police. Even if he has to fight and even kill some cops, maybe. Uh, he, all How does he not helpers, get arrested after he throws uh, his badge right next to a judge's head? Because he's a badass, man. Everyone respects Shaft. <laughs> they respect what a badass he is. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, none of that really works in a way. Um, and the ending... Well, I, I do want to say, though, because you mentioned her... Um, I think Tony Collette is also really good in this movie, and it's not a huge role, but I forgot she was in it. So that was a little bit of a happy space for me to be like, oh, yeah, I've always loved Tony Collette. Like, yeah, she's terrific. She, she really is. Her, her character, I, I like that she's kind of a realistic style person in a movie that tends to play things a little cartoonish. I don't know what Vanessa Williams is supposed to be in this movie at all, outside of, oh, John Shaft has a buddy in the police system. She's She's also badass. She's not really. She should be. She should have had a little more time to be badass. But aside from showing up at the right moment and wearing a um, wearing a, a, a bulletproof vest right. when she told people that she didn't, I mean, right. I, I just don't understand what she's supposed to be. I, I feel like early on there's some badass moments, like when they're raiding the place. I don't know. I don't know. Just, uh, maybe I, I was just too colored by the idea that that he's a cop doing yeah, drug raids. No, it's that's just... true. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Leo, I like uh, how I like how I was like I'm gonna win Doug over and 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 really show him <laughs> that this movie's not so bad. And now I'm like, oh, it does kind of suck. Huh? Well, the thing is, I gave it two and a half stars on Letterboxd because I found it entertaining and it's it's a fun action movie. It just feels like it's not. It feels like it's hard to even imagine enjoying a sequel to this movie. You know, and the weird thing is, at the end of this movie. He's basically where Shaft is supposed to be, right? Now he's a private investigator. Now in the sequel, he can be Shaft, but he won't be because the character isn't Shaft. And really, it's not meant to be. It's the nephew of Shaft. They should have called it Shaft Jr. <laughs> also, Samuel Jackson's too old to be in this movie. He's a little old for the movie, but I I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I also just have a soft spot for Samuel Jackson. I love Samuel L. Jackson. Believe me, don't get me wrong. I love him, and I love him in this movie. It just, it just does not feel like Shaft to me. And it's what the weird thing is. Probably in the year two thousand, I would have been like, Samuel L. Jackson's gonna be Shaft. That's fucking perfect. And it would have seemed perfect. And and in this movie, he's still good, but he just doesn't feel like Shaft. Uh, you know what it is? I like detective movies. That's my thing. I yeah. really love detective yeah, no, movies. I know you and do, this yeah. movie isn't a detective movie. And no. the original Shaft is. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. I think that there's there other than being a badass, it's not clear that Shaft does any police work in this movie. Like <laughs> he doesn't figure anything out for the most part. Liam, in the career of John Singleton, he directed nine movies. Before we finish up here today, let's rank them from nine to one. I'm gonna start with you, Liam. Your thoughts on the ninth best John Singleton movie. Abduction. Yeah, I don't think there's any question there. That is a very soulless movie. I mean, it really does feel like director for hire. And even in regards to a director for hire, hey, I would have took Shaft instead of Abduction, right, any day of the week. The action in Shaft is better. Really, everything about it is better. I'm Abduction is a really unfortunate final film for John Singleton. Yeah, I don't. There's, I don't really have anything positive to say about it. What is your number eight? Too Fast, Too Furious. I'm right there with you. Too Fast, Too Furious. It, it did allow me to kind of introduce myself to this series. Uh, and I don't think it's a terrible movie or anything along those lines. No. But, uh, boy, I don't get the Paul Walker love, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I don't. 
I wouldn't blame the parts of it that I don't like exclusively on John Singleton. I don't think it's that. It's that I no. already don't like the series, and that I don't think he brings enough other stuff to it to lift it up. And, you know, three... Not that we need to have hot takes on Fast and Furious, but three is really the beginning of those movies for me. Once three happens, I'm, I start to be like, okay, these aren't so bad. But one and two, I think, are just crimes that should have never spawned sequels, even if I love those sequels, that all that energy should have gone to a better franchise instead of where it went. <laughs> you were number seven. Baby boy. So far, our list is exactly the same, Liam. My number to seven is Baby Boy. I do think that some people might think that that pick is somewhat controversial. It is a movie that is much beloved by many uh, others, but, I mean, we explain ourselves in our episode. It just, there's, it's just too, it just doesn't ring true, you know? There's just too much of it that feels um, confused. Well, and I think, too, it's worth me saying that there are movies further up the list that surprise me. So if we had done this before we did the show, I would have guessed Baby Boy would have ranked higher. But uh, there's two movies I put after Baby Boy that I'm surprised were after Baby Boy. But it's Interesting. That, I don't want to make it just that Baby Boy is bad, though I don't think it's that good. It's that these other two movies surprised me and how good they were. Well, we're about to diverge on our list, Liam. What's your next film? Four Brothers. Four Brothers. My next film is Shaft. Yeah, I, I thought that might be the case. I I would actually say that Four Brothers and Shaft are kind of equal for me in some ways. Hmm. But overall, I think Shaft works better as a movie, if not for the part where it's not a Shaft movie. Um, whereas Four Brothers, there are certain aspects, especially towards the end, that started to get stupid. You know, and and even though I find it uh, overall pretty serviceable and fun, you made a fist fight on the ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that whole part was bad. Um, it, but it is, I, I will say, my assumption. Even though I had seen Four Brothers before, I thought it wouldn't rank that high in his filmography. But it actually does for me. I think it's pretty good. Um, I don't think it's great, but I think it's pretty good. Your next pick, Shaft. Shaft. My next pick, and this might be uh, somewhat controversial, is Higher Learning. Um, I don't think that's controversial. It's half of a great film, I think, yeah. Higher Learning is. I yeah. think that's what we came down on. Yeah, I think I, I – I mean, we'll get there in a sec. But, uh, yeah, I, I think for me, Shaft is – I like it at this sort of midway point. Um, I think it's, in an, it's a very competent film for my taste. But I think that uh, – I wouldn't put it any higher because there's not much there for me outside of that it's entertaining. So, like, I would definitely play Shaft at, like, a marathon. I would actually have no qualms in playing Shaft at, like, a – like a uh, well, but it would probably be a 2000s marathon. So there's not that much good <laughs> anyway. But but I, I think it's entertaining. I really do think it's entertaining. I, uh, uh, I just don't know that there's much more to it besides that entertainment. Your number four film. Higher learning. Uh, I agree. It's There are parts of it that I think are very good, but it overall does not work for me. My number four is Four Brothers, a film I was actually surprised by in regards to how much I was entertained by it. Like you said, a lot of goofy stuff in there. I just think that the action is a little bit more um, successful than in Shaft. I also think that it's kind of funny. You know, Four Brothers is a remake as well, though Shaft sure. isn't really a remake. It's more like a, a tribute or reimagining. I guess maybe Four Brothers is like that as well. I just, I think I liked uh, a lot of the performances in it, and I liked how, um, I liked that it really felt like it captured the texture of a specific place, and it has a grit that Shaft probably should have had, but doesn't. What's next for you? Number three. Uh, number three is going to be Rosewood. Um, we kind of hammered this film when we covered it, and I don't think that was unjustified. Uh, but when I really thought about it, it still is overall, I think, very good. Uh, I just – and it, I know this is unfair. There are critics who would lambast me for even saying this, but I'm mad that it's the movie it is and that it's not a different movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, – I think I would feel great if someone would come along and tell the same story in a different way that felt less like a fun action movie. That being said, I think it's a very successful fun action movie that also happens to have 
very intense scenes in it that that really I think faithfully portray white supremacy and racism. Uh, my number three is Rosewood as well, uh, and I echo what you're saying. I I do think that our criticisms of it are less criticisms of John Singleton and his approach, and more criticisms of the kind of movies that you could make in 1997. Yeah. That that that. The fact that the film has too much focus on the white characters, that the film has this kind of action movie climax, it all feels like restrictions that were necessary in order to get this movie made. Uh, and I do feel like that if you made Rosewood in 2015, as opposed to 1997, that you could have the movie, Liam, that you wanted, that you that you think that this, this subject matter deserves. But I do think that we have to celebrate the fact that if the only way that the story can be told in 1997 is the way that John Singleton told it, then that, that I think is respectable because it's still a good movie. I think that's fair. I think that's probably true. Your number two. Poetic Justice, which, you know, I, I at this point I'm just sort of going with his the order of his filmography, but yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that because, um, and, and honestly, I'd say it's probably in some ways tied with my number one. Uh, my oh, number interesting. One, but, uh, but I just have more emotional connection to my number one than I do Poetic Justice, so it, it, it becomes number one. But I still think Poetic Justice is a really great movie. I get that there are parts of it that are not, maybe what I want or what other audiences would want. But I think overall it's, it's, it's a great. Uh, I agree. That's my number two as well, which of course means Liam that our number ones are the same. And I'm a little depressed about that. Our number one films are both boys in the hood, a film that defined John Singleton as a filmmaker that launched him, but sort of, I think became a bit of an albatross for him as a, as a filmmaker because people wanted boys in the hood and he wanted him to deliver a Boys in the Hood movie again and again, and that is just not where his interests seem to lie. I mean, I I want to say that that's not me, that I'm comfortable with him branching out, and I didn't need him to do another Boys in the Hood. That's what I say. Right. But when I think about what we watched, Boys in the Hood was my favorite movie, period. So it's like in some ways maybe I am one of those people who is limiting what John Singleton could have done. I think it's it would be a mistake to think of John Singleton's later career as a series of compromises as opposed to sure. a filmmaker who wanted to break away from this category that he'd be that he had been put in because you can say what you want about too fast too furious or abduction they're not they're not films that are are like this is a black movie for black audiences these are not films that are defined by the fact that they are made by a black filmmaker. These are movies that are meant to appeal to everybody. And these, uh, and I guess that's also kind of one of the problems with us making the list like this is that I hadn't seen Boys in the Hood, right? That's embarrassing for me because that's a really important movie. And I had put in my mind that it was about this thing and that it was going to be this certain way. And it wasn't like that at all. It's a shame that, that really that other people didn't take the the mantle of boys in the hood and some some did which i'm not but what i mean is that 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 came in the form of imitation as opposed to a lot of filmmakers you know making movies as resonant that are about their experiences and so personal but then again i'm saying this as if everyone had that opportunity which is very unlikely right. the case it's a it it's funny to think about boys in the hood in the way that i was talking about shaft right that it kicks that door open and it gives this opportunity but what we found with a lot of black exploitation movies is that they were just imitating other successful black exploitation movies and i think that's what you found in a lot of the kind of gangster movies in the 1990s which isn't to say that some of them didn't have a lot of value as well it's just that it kind of petered out eventually well i don't i think we we can relate to this as horror fans right like if you are a fan of horror movies, you can't get too much on a high horse about money grabs because inevitably some cynical money grab just happened to hire the right director that it turned out to be a really important movie that you love. But if it's you actually that- studied the history, you'd know, oh, all the motivations behind this movie were 
you know, cynical and in some cases illegal. You know, like yes. like some of my favorite movies are actually money laundering schemes, but I love the movie, you know. <laughs> I always think about how the mob was involved in the making of Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. and ran away with the money. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, let's talk about I mean, you live in Canada, Doug. How many Canuck exploitation movies absolutely. were just literally like, I gotta run this money through something and I hear I could make movies in Canada. You know, so like I don't know. I, I just think that um I don't want to be some purist, like every movie has to be an auteur or whatever. And I think that Singleton very purposely pushed against that because it was limiting for him. But I also can't ignore my taste, which is like Boys in the Hood is the best movie he did. That doesn't change to the fact that like I put Four Brothers pretty high up on the list, and that was his second to last movie. So I, I still think if he had gotten more opportunities and had lived longer, he might have done something that surprised everyone because it would have been something that was not recreating Boys in the Hood, but still was his voice in a way. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want I, I, I don't want to buy into any sort of weird like, oh, you know, uh, tragedy thing or whatever. But I do think like, uh, you know, something magical happened with Boys in the Hood that still appeals to me today. I think that's fair. And I think that's a good sentiment for us to end on. The, the career of John Singleton was unfortunately cut short by his early death. We can't know for sure what he would have done with the rest of his time on this earth. But, I mean, there, there's no reason to think that he didn't have another film that would have been as resonant as Boys in the Hood in him just because he finished with Abduction, which is a film that neither of us really cared for. And it's not like his influence doesn't still carry through. I mean, we still see films from directors like Craig Brewer uh, and, and his television work as well that, that you know, you probably, in fact, you certainly wouldn't see if it wasn't for the influence of John Singleton. And I think that his influence overall was extremely positive. And I think going through his career, we saw an extremely talented filmmaker who sometimes struggled with the system in which he uh, he found himself in and that the restrictions that were put on him by what people saw him as, as a filmmaker. And that's the struggle that I think we're going to see and continue to see with a lot of young black filmmakers. And hopefully he's made it, he made it a little easier for them. In fact, I think that's that's something that we can kind of universally say that the, the, the film world is better for have, having had John Singleton in it. I think that's true. And, and I will certainly say that um, his movies, even the the ones that maybe I'm a little bit skeptical of now were still pretty important to me becoming a fan of film. So I appreciate him for that. That was the films of John Singleton. Liam, we're going to wrap up our look on at uh, John Singleton. <clears throat> we're going to wrap up our look at the career of John Singleton now. We are going to do another look at another director soon, but we're going to announce that in a little bit, we're going to take a little break from the uh, the kind of filmography style podcast right now, since especially because we're focusing on the filmography of Alejandro Jodorowsky on our Jodorowsky podcast. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of the films of John Singleton or other Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can find our latest episodes as well as latest episodes of a family of uh, podcasts that are all really great over at cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. Uh, they can also follow Cinepunks on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. There's even a Facebook group where uh, we try to foster discussion around various podcasts and news about mu music and movies. Uh, and that's called the Cinepunks Funtime Hangout Group over uh, over on Facebook. Um, they can also check out our website just for this podcast, cinemasmorgasbord.com, and that has our archive, uh, all the episodes we've done up to this point for all of our various shows. Uh, and they can follow us on Twitter too, at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G, uh, to get updates and occasionally Doug says things and, you know, it's 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 not exciting, but it's, you know, it's a way to keep up with us. It's a way to keep up. That's great, Liam. You can, of course, follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. Or you can also follow me, Doug Tilly, on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can also check us out at cinemasmorgasbord.com, as Liam mentioned, where you can subscribe via your favorite podcast location. Why don't you leave us a review on iTunes? We'd appreciate it very much. And we recently, Liam, launched a podcast devoted to Eurocrime called Wild in the Streets. Wild in the uh, you Streets. Can Wild in the Streets, you can check that out over at Cinema Smorgasbord or the latest episode always on Cinepunks.com as well. But for now, Liam, it's time to wrap up the career of John Singleton. We'll be back very soon with another episode of a Cinema Smorgasbord podcast. Good night, everybody. 
Nej, nej. Thank you.